Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. The Lord's good. Let me read this. This will help you. This brings so much comfort to me. Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun. Have you just have you just been, I don't know, sometimes I get so frustrated with myself. And it's usually after I've snapped at Becky or been be or being disagreeable or thinking some terrible thought that I shouldn't think. And I'm thinking, gosh, I've been a believer for almost 50 years. And this is still going on in my life. What's wrong with me? Being confident of this very thing that he who begun. See, all of us are on this journey. We're all, none of us are there yet. This is, this is the truth. The work of the cross is 100% finished in everybody in this room. If you... If you have Christ, He has given you everything, but it is not His work is finished, but there's a work in us. There's an outworking in us that's not finished. Right? If it is, we're in trouble. If it is, the Bible's not true. God's not finished. That's what Paul says, being confident. And he said this to these amazing people that he loved dearly. That he knew God had something more for. Just let me read this other scripture here. Philippians 3. Everybody knows this one. Uh, Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended. If Paul the apostle did not. This is at the end of Paul's life, by the way. He was, he was edging towards being martyred. And he says, I don't count myself as, be, as apprehended. I'm not there yet. God has more to do in me. I have not counted myself to have amity, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That's where we're at right now. That's where we are. Spiritually, in this era that we are now in, we are in a different era, era, E-R-A, not just a different season, not just a different day, not just a different... We're in a different spiritual era than we were a few, just a few months ago. I feel like we've crossed over even from out of a transition almost. Maybe we're not completely out of it, but we've transit. Maybe we've stepped across into the new room and we're standing around fit, trying to figure out what the room is. But we're in a new situation. And, and that's what Paul was saying. We had to let go of what was because God has more for us. And if we try to hang on to that, that's not going to work for us. Is that making sense? I press towards the goal, goal of the prize of the upward God of Upward God, call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what, what we learned a long time ago in our worst moments, in our darkest hours, in our most disappointments, our most crushed dreams. I'm trying to get everybody in on this because we all have to go through those moments. David called it the valley of the shadow of death. We learned this one thing just keep going. If you just keep, and, and listen, Forget your theology in that moment. That doesn't work. In your worst moment when something devastating has happened to you, a loved one is destroyed, lost, uh, killed, murdered, 
Whatever it may be, God didn't answer the prayer. You didn't get the job. You know, you could go down the list. That's not the time to figure out theology. Because you're going to come up with the wrong theology. Every time you, it'll be wrong, you will misrepresent God because of what your situation's telling you. We had to stick to what the Word of God says. And so in that moment, if you just keep going with Him, God will work it out. And God may or may not explain it to you, which can be difficult. I agree. <laughs> I'd like some explanation, Lord. Why were you, where were you in my worst moment? <laughs> Remember that old story uh, where the footprints in the sand? Y'all remember the old footprints? The guy, just in case somebody don't know that old story, this guy had these, saw these footprints in the sand. It was his life, right? There were two sets of footprints. One was Jesus, one was him. But he noticed in his worst moments there was one set of footprints. And he got upset with the Lord, like, Where were you, Lord? <laughs> you forsook me. <laughs> And the Lord said, I didn't forsake you. I just picked you up and was carrying you. That's why there were only one set of footprints. Right? And that's really the Lord. The Lord's faithful, y'all. No matter what we're going through, He's a faithful God and He's there even when we don't know He's there. I just want you to know that. I know you know that. So, so we have to be careful not to be stalled in our Christian life. Okay? We can get stalled out. We can stall But God's saying, no, there's more. There's more for you. I want you to be a people of more. I want you to be a people who have more vision. I want you to begin to look forward. I want you to begin to people to to move forward. I want you to get back to who you really are and what I've put in you, my purposes. Let's get back and let's let the dream of God begin to work in us in a fresh way because that's what he's doing. Am I, am I the only one that is sensing that and feeling that? Because I'm telling you, that's the, word, that's the word of the Lord. I'm telling you that. Well, I'm hoping somebody in this room believes that. <laughs> well, I shared last week about the book of Philippians that there were like three main things in there. One was centering our life on Jesus Christ. Y'all remember that? The preeminence of Jesus Christ. That that has to be the thing in season, out of season. And if we'll do that... If we'll do that, something will happen, okay? I don't really understand it. It's mysterious to me, you know? But if we will begin to make Christ-centered, things will work in your life better than not. Things will work out in your life. And the things that don't work out, you'll get perspective and you'll get wisdom about those things to help you navigate where you are. It really, I'm telling you the truth. If you, whatever is the main focus in your life, if you would shift that focus to Christ himself and forget some of the things, I think that's one of the things the church needs right now is a good dose of Holy Ghost amnesia <laughs> where we could just forget some of the things that we have, bit, you know, we've bickered over. Some of this stuff has not helped us. And if we could just forget that and begin to recenter on Him, then He gives us abilities to walk through these things or He resolves things. Yes, and amen to that. And that's really just, you know, make it your aim to know the Lord. 
to know Christ in a, in a greater way. Just like, that's what I want to do. That's how I'm going to do it. And God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit would be more at work in your life. Okay, the second thing in the book is, are y'all good? A Christ-centered life leads to joy and peace. That's what this book teaches us. A Christ-centered life will lead us to the two things that we desperately need right now. Is we need the peace of God which passes all understanding. That puts a guard upon our hearts and minds. And we need the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is really key. And then third thing is, is the unity of believers. And the unity of believers happens through humility and receiving the mind of Christ. That's, that's what he teaches in there. He t- teaches about humility. And, and like I said last week, we cannot, we must not, we must not center our lives around cultural and political things. They cannot be the reasons for unity. If, you're, if you only have unity with people who believe like you uh, politically or believe like you about what's happening in culture, you're in error. That's error. You will be led astray because there are, that's, none of that stuff's good. Like I said, we actually have a uniparty, uni, uniparty in charge up there in our government. We don't have two parties. We have one party. They just two, have two different names. They're not for us. Jesus is for us. And that's what we center on. We have to have relationships with people who don't necessarily have the same political views that we do. And if all the, and the only people we side with is those who agree with us politically. I'm just using politics as something. I could use many other things. Politics or theology. Okay? If that's the only thing we have, if we center on those things, we've made a big mistake. You know, we need to center on Jesus. Well, I hope you're happy about that. People don't like for you to talk about politics. Like I said uh, months ago, if you, if you use the word T-R-U-M-P in the church, you're going to get burned by somebody. I don't like that. I don't like that that we're like that. I think it's wrong. I just think it's wrong, y'all. I think we've gotten an error on that. And I think the church needs to come back. If, we have a, if Christ is our goal, if Christ is our center then we can begin to look at our world differently and look at each other differently. Mm. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm not fussing, am I? Y'all don't feel that. I mean, this is, not, this, is, this is what God wants to do for us. He wants to help us. All right, listen, this is the thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about the joy thing, okay? Because here's the reason I want to talk about joy. Joy has been a mystery in my life. And here's why it's a mystery. Because I confuse joy and happiness lots of times. And I think we all know that happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. God wants you to be happy. He's not like, oh, do something to make me sad, Jesus. No, Lord, I want to be happy. Blessed, the Beatitudes. I'm into Beatitudes. That word is blessed. Happy is blessed. God wants us to be happy. But joy is a different thing. Joy is a spiritual thing. Okay? That's why it's it's a little bit mysterious. And what I've discovered, I'm just going to tell you what I've discovered about me, is I have not made room for joy in my life. Okay? That's been one of my problems. I've believed in joy. I had a theology about joy. But I never really made room for, for it practically. Okay, it's only when, and I'll tell you when I begin to really think more about joy, 
is when I was at the bottom, when I was at the when I was at the pit, when I was busted, okay, and I realized, oh my gosh, I need something from God right now that I don't have, that I had at one point, okay, and it was gone. Why was it gone? Because joy comes in different ways. That's what I discovered. Joy comes in different ways, okay. And if the, if the only way joy comes, listen to this. The reason we love revival, if you love it, you can love it or hate it. The reason we love it is because there's a greater presence of the Lord, okay? And in the presence of the Lord's joy, okay? Well, my problem was that was the only place I was making room for joy. It's when God was really moving, when God was really, His presence was really being manifested, I was getting full of joy, I mean, joy was my thing. But when that ebbed and went away, all of a sudden I found myself in a joyless state. Okay? And then when I really went down into some bad things, I was really deficit joy. I mean, really. Okay? So, I'm gonna, real quick, I'm going to do this. All right? I'm going to tell you a few things the Lord showed me how to appropriate joy in my life. Okay? Number one, John 15, 11. This is what Jesus says. These things, John 15, y'all know what John 15 is, abiding in the vine. It's actually John 13 through 17 is what he's talking about when he says these things. So go read John 13 through 17. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So one of the ways we appropriate joy is the words of Jesus. Is when we begin that, so we had to. That's how you make room for joy. Is the Word of God? What is the Word of God? Given a place for the Bible in your life. If you're not given that place, you're not given a place for joy. So I want to encourage us. Let's be Bible people. Let's be people who read the Bible. Let's be people who think about the Bible. Let's be people who put scriptures in our head instead of political headlines all the time. We can do those political headlines, but we need to have the Word of the Lord. In our minds, in our hearts. And that brings joy. That's what Jesus himself said that. And in particular, you can go in those place times when you feel joyless. Go back and reread John 13 through 17. And and just tell the Lord, Lord, you said this. I'm I'm banking on it. I'm stepping into this. Are y'all with me? The other one is this. Of course, everybody knows this. Nehemiah 18, 18. 10, not 18. Uh, Nehemiah speaking, Ezra speaking. They said to them, go your way, eat the fat, eat the fat. Hey, you know fat's good for you? Did you know they found out, that, this is the truth, they found out these, you know, people about, you know, busting, don't do fat and all that. It's not good for you. Eat fat. Fat's good for you. Your body needs fat. It's got stuff in it. So all that stuff about fat was a lie. One time, you can lose weight by not eating fat. I'm going to tell you that now. Because one time me and Becky did this. Remember that? We about melted away. Because we weren't eating fat. We were just dissolving away. But it was not healthy. It was unhealthy. We thought we were being healthy. It was a, it, I just wanted to put that plug in about the fats. Because I like fat myself. There is nothing better than a piece of steak, red meat that I love. Did you know they finding out about red meat? Do y'all know this? They have discovered some things that it is very good for you. That it provides things that nothing else can provide. Enzymes, 
different things. I'm not no nutritionist, but I do, I do look at food a lot, actually. I, anyways, go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. But don't only do it at night. <laughs> You'll pass out. <laughs> and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that beautiful? The joy. Now listen, let me tell you about that. This is what I learned about the joy of the Lord too. It's not when you get, because this is the, the misconception I had. If I could just get through this moment, I can get back into joy. And the Lord said, no, you need the joy in the moment. Because if you delay joy, you delay strength. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If we don't pursue joy, if we don't say yes to joy right now, we are saying, we're not saying, we're saying no to strength right now. Because joy gives you strength to go through what you need to go through. It's like it, you don't need joy at the, at the end of the day when you're wore out. You need it in the middle of the day when you were trying to get through the day. Because the joy gives you strength. It gives you strength to get through your trials and your difficulties, your hurts and your pains, your losses. Oh, I'm going to grieve for a season so there won't be no joy. No. God wants us to have joy in our grief. It's a weird thing, but it's spiritual to help us get through our grief. Amen. Well, this is my favorite one. Are y'all good so far? I got to hurry up. Psalm 1611. Everybody knows this one. You shall show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at you. Oh, so let me say it like this. This is another, this will help you. We may not feel joy every time we're in the presence of the Lord. We may not feel it every time. We may not sense it every time. But if there is a consistent lack of joy in your life, you have to question if you're in the presence of the Lord as much as you thought you were. Seriously. Seriously. Because this is, it says in His presence there's going to be joy. So if we are consistently not walking in joy, we have to look at this and say, there's something wrong with my encounters with the Lord. I'm not having encounters. I'm not in His presence the way He wants me to be. Someone said this to me a while back. They said, prayer is an experience of joy because God is involved in prayer. And I thought, are you kidding me? They were talking about intercession prayer with people. I thought, I hate doing that. I don't want to pray with nobody. I want to, I want to pray by myself. <laughs> but what they said was the truth. But how many of us think of prayer as joy? I'm sure the person who told me that was an intercessor. Actually, they were. And for them, it was a very joyful experience because they experienced the Lord because they were doing what God called them to do. Yeah. There's power in that. So God really wants us to really think. That's what he was telling me. You need to look at your, what you think is an encounter with me because they, if, if, you, if that was truly an encounter with me, where's the joy? I had somebody recently come to me that had this. They were telling me that there's a major encounter they had with the Lord, but they were treating me like trash. Literally, I'm thinking, what the heck? Whatever kind of encounter you had, I don't want because I don't want to be mean to everybody. I don't, want, I don't want to dice everybody. I don't want to put everybody down and, and make comments about them. And that's what they were doing. I think that ain't no real encounter with the Lord. That was an darn illusion. You know? Because if we're having encounters, something's going to shift inside of us. So, 
And again, I want to say that. That's why revivals are so amazing. Because the presence of the Lord is there. It's not just... A, people think we're all enamored with manifestations. I'm not. In fact, some of them like turn me off like they probably turn some of you off. But I am enamored with the presence of the Lord. Okay? And I'm willing to wade through all the difficulties that revivals bring, all the flesh and all the not-so-flesh... Because of the presence. Because the presence brings this beautiful joy into my life. And does something to me. Does something to me on the inside of me. And you can have that joy in anything you do. If, if God's calling you to do it. You can have it in business. You can have it gardening. You can have it. In, you know, The joy of the Lord is not confined to some spiritual experience. But it is a spiritual experience. You know. So I want to encourage people. The Bible says in uh, Isaiah 61, uh, the oil of joy, that's the Holy Spirit. For the, what is it? The oil of joy for the spirit of heaviness. The oil, when, the, when the Holy Spirit comes, joy comes. All right, I'm going to hurry up. Are y'all good? Of course, everybody knows that in Galatians 5, 22, 23 is a list of the fruit, not say fruits, say fruit. Fruit, that's what the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit. The second manifestation of fruit is joy. So, if you don't have that fruit working in your life, you have to think about your connection with the Lord. Maybe what they were sharing about the drift thing would speak to our hearts and say, you know, I don't have joy because I've kind of drifted from my... God didn't drift from me. He's right there with me. But I'm not really pursuing the Lord. The Lord's not that important in my thinking. I'm not cultivating relationship. I'm not being intentional about him. Right? And so, in the sign of that is we don't have joy. That's, that's what it says. Fruit of the Spirit's joy. Does that make you feel convicted? I hope it does because I feel real convicted about it at times. Like, man, I'm in trouble. Well, let me give you one more. I'm giving you my, my little puny theology of joy. It's not puny. It's powerful. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? So those are the three primary expressions. Listen to this. Those are the three primary expressions of the kingdom of God in our lives that God wants to see. Righteousness, His righteousness, peace, and joy. And they're to be continuously experienced because it says they're not eating. It's not what would it say? It's not eating and drinking. In other words, what Paul was trying to say, righteousness and peace and joy are like eating and drinking in the norm, in the physical. They're to be continuously experienced. Just like you have to continually eat and drink to stay alive. Did y'all get that? And that's what righteousness, peace, and joy are for us. They're, they need to be continually experienced in our life, all three of them. And so we could say this, okay? Joy is one-third of the kingdom of God. That's pretty significant. Yeah, one-third. That's powerful. Well, are y'all good? Here's something I wrote down about that. When we seek first the kingdom of God, we will have grace, wisdom, and power to overcome the things that cause us to not have peace and joy. A way the appropriate joy is seeking first the kingdom of God because it's... Righteous peace and joy. It'll help you overcome that victim mindset that people carry around. It'll help you overcome that. 
joy, joy don't have, there's no room for, for victim and joy. They don't work together. They push, they push against each other. How many people feel like they're a victim? Don't raise your hand. I, I will tell you this right quick. One time this guy, I know this guy well, uh, and he's a young guy, and he said, Byron, I need to tell you this about you. This is, this is how I see you. You were almost a victim. What <laughs> he told me, I thought, what? almost a victim? Are you serious? I was a victim. <laughs> but I, I'm not now. You hear me? I'm not going to be a victim. We don't need to be victims of any, of any type. Okay. Let me go back to Philippians now. This is beautiful. Okay, all right. So recently, Becky bought this book, okay? And what's the title of that book? The main title, there's a, she bought this book. It's an old book. It's 20 years old, I think. Yeah, no, but that's not the real title of it, is it? That's a subtitle. Life what? Life Model was the name of the book. It's a little book. It's written by four people, psychologists, pastor people, amazing people. But what I did is she had it set on the counter in the kitchen, and I walked by, and I saw the subtitle to it, and, man, it just, like, jumped off the cover at me. And it, this is what the subtitle was, or is, Living from the Heart that Jesus Gave You. Isn't that powerful? It really spoke to me because years ago, I had this experience with the Lord, and I was in church, and the Lord asked me a question. It was one of those defining moments in my life. The Lord asked me this, is this what is in your heart? And I realized, I didn't realize it then, I was too dumb. (laughs) It took me a while to process this. I realized after some processing with the Lord that I wasn't being real with what I was doing. I wasn't being genuine. I wasn't living from the heart that Jesus gave me. I was living from the heart of, this is what everybody says you should do in church. This is how church should be. And I didn't like any of it, yet I helped create that. Are are y'all following me? It was only a few years later in this journey that I started on that day. It was finding out what was in my heart. Finding out who, who I am and what God has put in me and what God wants to express through me. Which has been, going back to that, God will complete the thing He started in you. It's not finished. Okay? But one of the, the stories I tell people when I had this... Uh, this was a few years after, because I, I decided that moment, I'm going to find out, because I felt like the Lord said, well, find out what's in your heart and do it. That's what he told me. Find, I said, no, it's not. He said, well, find out what's in there and do that with your life. And I will say this, when I began to do that, my life shifted for the better, and it opened up revelation to me. It opened up things that God had for me, not what so-and-so was doing or what so-and-so thought. It connected me directly with... A, the spirituality, the revelation, the things that God wanted to put in me that he had placed me on this earth to carry. Are y'all following that? Well, it was just a few years later than that, I had this powerful vision. I'll tell you the vision. I love the vision. Are y'all good? I hope you're getting something out of this. We're talking about the book of Philippians, believe it or not. (laughs) 
So I have this vision, and I see this. I've told you all this before, but I just love telling it because it's been such a sweet thing for me. I see this bride. She's a bride. I'm seeing her from afar. I'm assuming she's beautiful. Okay? But as I get close to her, I find out she's not so beautiful. As a matter of fact, she's quite ugly. Okay? Because there the bride was, me in a bride's dress. (laughs) This is a terrible moment in my life. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. What is this, Lord? I'm not trans, Lord. I'm a guy. I ain't doing dresses. Period. I don't even, none of them, even the ones they do in Scotland that ain't about that, but you know what I'm saying. I've never been a girly guy. If you, I mean, I don't have a problem with girly guys and all that, but I ain't one of them. Okay. So I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what is this? And then the Lord, this, is, this might offend some people, but too bad. I'm just telling you what the Lord did. All of a sudden, I see this beautiful pistol. You know what a pistol is? Revolver. It had the most beautiful engraving on it like I've never seen before. It had beautiful, like, pearl-like handles. And this is what I heard the Holy Spirit say to me. Take the pistol and shoot her. Shoot him. Shoot the bride. I'm thinking, take the pistol and shoot the bride? Seriously? What is this? This can't be. None of this can be God. None of this can be God. Like, well, I'm doing it anyway. Because <laughs> at that moment, you know, you're having this visionary experience. You're not really sure what's happening, really, truly. You know, so I said, okay, I'm taking the pistol. I'm shooting the bride. I took that pistol and I aimed it and I shot me right through the head. I literally saw through my head. I saw the back wall after that bullet passed through. And the Lord said, don't ever create a church in your image. That's what he told me. Do not create a church in your image. That's powerful, man. I don't even know why I was telling you all that, but anyways. Mm. It's, having, it's living from the heart Jesus gave you. See, living from the heart, the other heart that I was living from, I was creating something that I thought And that's not what Jesus had. And I am not saying I have succeeded. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm I'm in process. I'm going back to Philippians 1, 6. He who begun a good, it's just begun. That's why I said we're going to be river life because that's who God's called us to be. Whatever that means, ultimately. You see what I'm saying, though? You can't, we had to learn, we had to discover the heart that Jesus gave us. Okay, here's what Paul said in Philippians 1.8. For God is my, my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. I long for you. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. This is the only church of all the churches, the letters to the churches that Paul wrote, that he spoke like that. Paul had this affection. Paul had this love for this church that was remarkable. I, I personally believe it was Paul would say, that's my home church. Because like I said last week, they sent this guy Epaphroditus 800 miles from Philippi to Rome to, to help support him when he was a prisoner, to give him money, to give him offerings. And it says three times at least in the New Testament where Paul, where Paul mentions that this church supported him. 
he was like their missionary. He was, in, in their eyes, Paul's our guy. We have a relationship with Paul. He's just not some preacher that passes through. We're, we're related to him. There's, there's love. There's community with us. And, that's, and he was writing this letter to thank them for what they had done for him and also to admonish them about legalism and about division. That's what you'll find in here. So, and, and I think I told you this last week, joy, the word joy is mentioned 16 times in Philippians, more than any other book in the New Testament. There's no other book where it talks about joy. And again, he never said they had joy. He's saying what I said earlier. You gotta pursue joy. You gotta you gotta appropriate joy in your life. And he was saying that you have need for joy. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. He was trying to encourage them to step into this mystical, spiritual thing called joy and let it become a part of their life. Okay? And if they would and, and the way you do that is you number one, you make Christ center. And out of that centering on Christ and His preeminence in your life, then joy and peace begin to flow. And then you can begin to have healings in your relationships. Okay? Isn't that beautiful? Don't y'all love that? I mean, man, I love this stuff. Because the Bible gives us answers for the moment we're in. Okay? It does. True joy is not born out of circumstances, but our relationships with one another and with the Lord. All right, I'm finishing here. This is interesting. Neuroscience and, and the Bible, okay? Neuroscience is finding. There's a whole field of neuroscience. You know what neuroscience is? It's your brain stuff, okay? Well, this is what it says. I'm going to read you some neuroscience stuff. Are you all good? The Bible and neuroscience teach us that joy, listen to this, is a relational experience in which someone is glad to be with me. God's glad to be with us more than we're glad to be with Him. He wants us to get that. I'm happy when you show up. I'm happy to be with you. It makes my heart, it fills my heart with joy. That's what the Lord was. It's like a grandparent. Man. Your grandkids, when I see them, I see my grandbabies, I just get this joy in me. Even when they ditch me, which some of them have ditched me. My grandkids, when they get old, they get to be teenagers. You know what teenagers do? They ditch you. I even told a certain grandchild, I'm not even on your list no more. I have fallen off the list of important people in your life. You know, somebody, you know, all these friends, you know, that's what they do. It's not personal. I don't take it personal, but I kind of do. Because of the joy that I get for being around my grandkids. I still have some young ones that still think that I'm something. <laughs> they find out what it is when they get like, he ain't nothing. <laughs> He's trouble. He's always talking to me about stuff I don't want to talk about. <laughs> the fallen world is a fractured, divided world, but God has, listen to this, this is from New York, it has hardwired into each of us the desire to overcome the brokenness and become the person he created us to be. That's biblical, y'all. God's hardwired something into us that when we're messed up, when we're broken, there's something in us that says, no, no, sir, we're, this is not right. We've got to somehow find a way to overcome this. As believers, we don't want to just lay down. 
because of our sins or because of our failures. There's something in us that keeps telling us, get up. You've got to get up. You can't just give up. You can't become that victim again. And that's what neuroscience has discovered this. I don't know how they study the brain. They get up with all kinds of cool stuff. Life makes more sense and is empowered by joy when we are in a relationship with the Lord and people who love us and are sincerely glad to be with us. Did you hear that? Life makes more sense when it's empowered by joy or is empowered by joy when we are in relationship with the Lord and with people that love us sincerely and are glad to be with us. Your life begins to come into order. That's how God created it. That's why family is so important to God. That's why God hates divorce because it makes life not make sense. That's why church is so important. That's why, and we haven't been very good at it. I'll be honest with you, the American church is terrible at this. But the church has to become a place where we see people and love them. That's why that Father's Heart thing is so amazing to me. Last week when Joe was up here talking, did y'all catch that when Joe Sheezy was up? The Father's Heart for children was just boiling out of that guy. I mean, it was just flowing out of him. I thought, oh my gosh, he's the best. Because he has a Father's Heart for the children. He looks at them like God the Father would look at them. And has a genuine love for them, a genuine care for them. I'm thinking, yes, I want my grandkids around that guy. And see, that's what joy is about. It's about that. Are y'all with me on this? This is powerful, man. I'm telling you, this is powerful. Okay. One of the reasons the devil wants to keep people separated and divided by politics, theology, and whatever, and disconnected from the body of Christ is keep us out of joy. Because he knows that if he keeps us out of joy, our strength is gone, and we are prey. It destroys us. It's just destructive. This is another great thing they said. That one was mine, but this one's out of the, the neuroscience people. Be, because joy is relational, it is also contagious. It really is. Revival is spread because of the joy of the Holy Spirit manifests amongst His people. That's how you spread a revival. You don't, you don't spread a revival by preaching about revival. It's when revival hits, people start getting joy and other people want in because, because we're hardwired for it. We're created for joy. Hey, if God's touching them, I want some of that. I'm not going to be satisfied to stand, be sitting out looking from the outside in. I want in, Lord. I want in on what you're doing. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Yes, Lord, hope. Well, I put this last thing up, and I'm not sure which one of those guys said it. Like I said, there's four people who wrote this book. And Becky knows a lot more about this stuff than I do, by the way. I'm just saying all this because living from the heart Jesus gave you is vital. Okay? Find out what's in your heart. Do that. Ask the Lord, Lord, show me what's in my heart. Show me. And maybe he'll start like he did me. Well, this is what you don't do. But this is, and then he began to show me how some things to to, to do. Discover what's in you. God will show you. You know what I told the Lord that day? Like, Lord, I'm so dumb. I'm so far away from you right now, Lord. Just put something in there and we'll do that and we can pretend I found out. That's how bad, that's how low I was that moment. I felt so far away from anything. Of course, God doesn't respond to stuff like that. He just kind of ignores like, yeah, sure. All right, this is the neuroscience. I put this, this one up there because it's kind of a couple more sentences. Having a, enough joy strength is fundamental to our well-being. 
We know, this is science now, that a joy center exists in the right orbital prefrontal cortex of the brain. That happens to be your right, right behind your right eye socket, by the way. I, I went and looked that up because I thought, what the heck is that? Where is that? <laughs> I need to know that so I can put my hands on that. <laughs> Actually, it's what I want. I want to know where that is. I'm putting my hands on that. So it's right there behind your right eye socket. There's this joy center. It has, listen to this, y'all, executive control over the entire emotional system. Executive control. When the joy center has been sufficiently developed, and it's developed through some of the things I I shared earlier, it regulates emotions, pain control, and immunity centers. In other words, your whole health is tied to joy. Your health, your well-being as a person, your mental health, your physical health. It guides us, listen to this, to act like ourselves. Is that powerful? To act like a, to be ourselves. It helps us to be real. Don't y'all want real? Don't y'all want genuine? Aren't you, you don't want fake. You don't want put on. You don't want act this way on one situation, act this way in another situation. That's what the church needs. Okay. It releases neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Y'all know about that. You can, this very big. And it's the only part of the brain, listen, that overrides the main drive centers. Food, right? Sexual impulses, terror, and rage. In other words, when our joy gets developed, when you have a urge, a bad urge, like terror or rage, I'll just stick to those two. The other two count too, but I don't want to make people mad because they're thinking you're fat or whatever. And I, or talk about their bad thoughts that they're having sexually. Everybody get all anxious, but y'all all have them. Well, at least all the guys do. Because that's why I told my grandkids, don't trust any guy. Period. Don't trust them. Why? I'm a guy. I know what they're thinking. <laughs> that's, kind of a, that's kind of an indictment. <laughs> but our joy, when our joy is developed, when those temptations come to us, you see what I'm, that's what it's telling us. Those, the joy center, when we are flowing in joy, we can overcome those things. Joy gives us What the Bible says, it gives us strength. I never thought about, oh, I can can overcome temptation with joy. Because joy is powerful. But I need to allow joy, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to work joy in my life. You see, basically what these neuroscience people are saying, they're saying what the Bible taught. Thousands of years ago, they're just giving us science behind it. It's not like they came up with a new theology. It was in the Word of God. But they're just explaining it from a scientific perspective. Are y'all with this? And that's why joy, and that's why Paul went after these Philippians so hard. You guys, I love you. You're joy to me. I want to be with you. I'm so thankful for you. But y'all need some joy. You got to go after joy. You got to put forth for joy. And it's not going to just come by revival, y'all. That was my mistake with joy. 
the only way I knew to get joy was revival. So if there was no revival, I was a misery. But I realized that's not a biblical way. Yeah, we're going to get some joy from revival, but in the meantime, right? Are y'all with me on this? Well, I hope you're as excited about it as I am because I'm going to pursue this. Can you just stand up? And I finished pretty much on time today. Did I talk too long? Yeah, okay, good. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. I really want to ask you to, about the reconciliation in your family in particular. If there's people in your family, and if you feel, you really need the Holy Spirit to help you with it. Like I say, some people you shouldn't, okay? One time, Becky and I had a falling out with some very dear friends, okay? And so after a while, I don't even remember what the falling out was about. It was something stupid. It didn't matter. Now it don't, but then it really felt like it mattered a lot. So we decided to go and meet with them and to reconcile. And this is no lie. The more we talked, the angrier they got with us. I mean, they were not in a position to hear anything from us. And we just caused more of a chasm. And we kind of realized that by halfway in, like, oh, uh, we need to shift the conversation. Like, okay, yeah, it's good seeing y'all. We just want to check in and make sure everything's okay and moving on with life. But there came a day out of the blue that I get this phone call from this person. Okay? They were ready for reconciliation. And it happened. It was beautiful. You see what I'm saying? We had to really let the Holy Spirit you know, guide us when, when we were trying to reconcile with people. Some things are more difficult to reconcile. I'm, if somebody raped you or a family member or molested you, I'm not saying go reconcile with them. You're going to have to forgive them at some point. you know. But I get that's a big deal. And that may be like what Paul said, he who began a good work. It may take time. Don't feel bad if there's something you're processing that you haven't gotten over yet, don't be condemned. If you don't feel like today, I can forgive that person really. Don't feel bad. But say to the Lord, but I know there's, I need to process through this and I need to come to a place whenever you get me there. But I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to let you take me there, Lord, in your way and your time. I want to remove any yoke from you where you feel like you're under a yoke. If I don't forgive, I'm messed up and God's going to hate me. No, you may have a terrible thing that happened to you that may take a period of time, years. It could take years for you. Or, or the Holy Spirit could do something else. To, I think just giving him a chance. Are you all okay? Yeah. Lord, we just ask you to heal us. And I think we all need healing on some level. And we all need to repent uh, of things and let things go. And I just ask you to help us do that. Lord, I pray you'd teach us more about joy and help us to really tap into real joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, uh, and know how to really cultivate that in our life and, and let it do the things that science says it does, like helps us to overcome our bad thoughts and our bad desires and our, and our anger, our fear. Lord, we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.